Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And uh, we're setting a new record today. Again, Cameron, um, we've, uh, <laughs> we've got to keep this up. Uh, shake everybody up, do something new all the time. So we have our first uh, grower with us this morning, and we've got a uh, grower agronomist duo with, with Shannon and Wyatt here. And uh, before we jump into things, um, why don't you guys kind of one by one introduce yourself. Shannon, you've been on the podcast before, but go ahead and give us a quick introduction again. Yeah, so just for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Shannon McClintock, the staff agronomist for Eastern Kansas, West Central, and Southwest Missouri. I'm happy to be on here for my, my third time now. I think Jesse wanted on here before before I got on here again, but sadly, Jesse, you lost that one. Yeah, didn't work, did it? <laughs> well, thanks for coming back on, Shannon. And Wyatt, you want to give us a little introduction? Uh, Wyatt Harris, uh, farm in the Hepler, Kansas area in southeast Kansas. Okay. I guess that's about all there is to know. That's all I do. <laughs> I like that. We'll get more out of you as we go, for sure. So there's a reason these guys are on here today. Um, so the duo of you two actually um, are uh, are one of the 4R Advocate uh, Award winners for 2022. And um, so kind of we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. But Shannon, do you want to go ahead and tell us what that award is and um, a little bit about that? Yeah, so the 4R Advocate Award is put on by the Fertilizer Institute every year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an award that recognizes um, growers as well as their um, retailers that they work with for following the 4R practices and implementing them, um, mainly around fertilizer. Um, but I look at it as not just fertilizer, but encompasses more things than just that. For sure. Um, the 4Rs, um, for those that don't know, is the right rate, the right source, the right place, and the right timing. Um, very easily go back to fertilizer. I think about herbicides, insecticides, fungicides as well. Um, even cropping rotations. Um, we're going to talk about cover crops today, but just making sure we're we're following all those different practices when we when we're making decisions on the operation. Yeah, that's right. It's really it's really meant to be. I think a stewardship award um, by the Fertilizer Institute, and I think those those soil management practices and, and things that go right along with being efficient with fertilizer. Uh, are are absolutely just slide right in there and, and are an awesome support support to that award. So and I I know they they choose people that are doing those kind of things every year. So right, yeah, and you know stewardship being one of MFA's core values, um, I I feel like someone from MFA, a grower from, that's participating in our news track program, should be on board every year just because a lot of things that we promote within the agronomy department at MFA follows these these practices to a T. Yep, yep, I agree, I agree. Well, that's a good background. So, um, why give me a little give me a little history on your operation, kind of how you got started. You're you're a young guy, so I'm very interested in kind of how you got started farming and and give us a little background there. Well, I started in the fall of 2006 while I was a junior in high school. Um, of course, I was supposed to do the college thing and everything that everybody's supposed to do, and uh, <laughs> had a neighbor decide to retire, and, and I'd always farmed with my uncle and, and some other neighbors around, and, and that, I knew that's what I wanted to do, and uh, I had the opportunity to sit down and discuss the possibility of me taking over their 300, 350 acres um, that they were farming, and uh, 
not thinking I had a real shot, you know. Sure. 17 years old. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, and they they've always knew they always knew me actually his wife taught me in third grade and knew I was ate up with farming, you know, then cuz she could never get me to do what I was supposed to do in class cuz I was always drawing tractors and <laughs> field operations. But, uh, you got more important things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, they they were willing to take the chance, um, and and everybody you know around thought he thought he was crazy, and and uh, Leon would tell me, he goes, have you really ever sat down and talked to that boy? He sounds like he's a you know a forty year old man sitting across it from the table talking to you about farming. So it just kind of took off from there. I, I uh, we planted you know we got off to a little bit of a rough start. I planted wheat that fall in 2006. That was the first crop I ever put in of my own. And uh, we had, uh, in the spring of 2007, we had a, a real hard freeze, uh, probably around the 20th of May, and just annihilated the wheat. So it was a failure. And what wheat was left, the army worms come in after that and took care of what was left. But uh, So first crop, I was kind of 0 for 1. But, yeah. Uh, Things turned around. We ended up having a pretty good year in 2007, and that's when grain markets really, you know, rebounded and trended up, you know, for a few years. And you know, of course, that helped a young guy get his feet under him. Sure. Um, but also, you know, a lot of the equipment I had that I started out with, uh, you know, was you know cheap older stuff, and I had a lot of homemade stuff that Dad helped me build. Um, had an old four-wheel drive Versatile uh, tractor that was my granddads and uncles and uh i had it and the motor was blown in it and me and dad repowered it with uh l10 cummins lengthened the frame and boosted the horsepower and put heavier rear ends in it and all that so it could actually do something and uh, he actually fixed it up to resell and then i started farming and it just kind of got passed down to me but uh caught a few breaks along the way things of that nature um, was able to buy some pretty decent pieces of equipment on auction. Um, and I think it helped, you know, the farm economy was still not real good at the time I got in. And, and then guys would see a, you know, a young teenage guy bidding on equipment and they'd kind of back off. I, I hate to say that, but I think I got caught some breaks there because of that too. But, sure. uh, but we, I also, I custom farmed a lot when I was starting out. Yeah. Um, we run custom anhydrous for several years from the time I started farming. I built my own applicator out of an old, it used to be an old uh, Terra applicator actually. We put a couple of them, what good pieces we could scrounge out of them into one and I extended it and made it, you know, I think it was like 27 foot, the both of them that we had for parts and I made it 38 foot and uh, in the shop. And that's just kind of how we got going was just putting together what we could for as little cost as we could and and that's what you had to do um but uh the custom farming is really probably how i got my grip to grow like i have yeah um, kind of pays the bills it helped like, pay the bills and i you know and as it grew i was able to buy nicer equipment yeah and and then you know one thing leading to another you know and then the better equipment you got the more custom work you can do and and then as the guys started retiring that I'd done a lot of custom farming for, you know, obviously I got first chance to rent most of their ground. Mm -hmm. And that's really where it kind of took off. And, and then everybody's seen how good a job we done and how hard we worked at it. And it just, the ball kept rolling. 
Yeah. That's nice. Well, I think you're a little I think you're a little modest in saying that you caught a few breaks. You probably you probably made some quality business decisions along the way. It's always easy to look back and and say that you caught a break or two, but it, it sounds like a lot of hard work and and putting a putting a small business and putting an operation together to me. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you're doing what you love, you know, I, I know it does. does. Like it does. Yeah, it, it never. You know, <laughs> I hundred yeah, I hundred percent agree. But it, it is still a job, um, and it is still a business. So I, I I completely understand that too. So Shannon, tell me a little bit about kind of how you and Wyatt started working together. Yeah, so whenever I first started, a little over seven years ago, uh, Wyatt was one of the first growers I started working with. Uh, prior to me starting with MFA fresh out of college, Wyatt was already in our NutriTrep program. He was already following, he was already doing some grid sampling. I don't think the whole farm was quite sampled yet. Um, a good part of it. There was a good chunk of it. Um, he'd been working with Jason Sutterby. Um, he was a precision specialist at the time. Been working with him for mm, probably four or five years before that. He was one of the first. I started even before Sutterby become the. Yeah, he was one of the first adopters of NutriTrack in the area, um, and so that kind of he was already doing that when I started, and then we started with crop track on a few acres, um, worked probably two three years together, and then you know what we're seeing now with the work shortages, they were starting then, and starting to it was starting to hit the farm a little bit too, and we started looking at you know is no till is no till a feasible option. Is it something, a way we can, you know, kind of combat some of this workforce issues? At the time, he was conventional till, running in hydrus. There was a lot of, applica- a lot of in my mind, a lot of unnecessary applications being made that needed someone setting in a tractor. And so we looked at no-till, you know, is that an option, how to combat some of this, this workforce issues? And looking back now, it's been four years now. Five, five going on six, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's paying. It's, it's evident with oh, soil absolutely. health. Soil health, um, you know, not having to spend those extra dollars on mm-hmm. tillage work, having to put an extra wear and tear on a tractor. I mean, soil health's one thing, but seeing some of those other things, those other wear and tear points um, also is also, you know, helping a lot too. Which we were always intrigued with no-till. It just, we just, I just could not figure out how I was going to implement. Yeah. Um, I, that's the direction I knew I wanted to go for the future. And I just, you know, it, everybody in this area is conventional till forever. And, you, you know, you just got that preached and, and taught to you the, the whole time growing up that you, you got to work the ground. You got to work it right. You got to get a good seed bed and mm-hmm. make it look all pretty. And, and uh, I was like, man, I'd like to be able to get away from this. But I just don't know that it's, it's possible. You know, everybody right. said, well, you can't grow corn here in this part of the country, you know, without working ground. Corn responds to tillage. And. And I tried to dabble in no-till a little bit, but, you know, I was like, well, I got a farm over here that's pretty rocky and, and, you know, it's hard on tillage equipment and maybe let's try it. But in the grand scheme of things, the tractors would get rolling and and instead of trying to change gear, you know, the direction you was going, you know, well, we're over that way. Just pull in there with the disc and get it, you know, because I don't want to have to stop and reset the planter and row cleaners and try to figure out what I want to do there. Just, Just, you're over there, let's just get it done so everything's the same and let's go so and that you know always heard you know if you're going to switch no-till you got to you got to do it in steps you need to do you know a little bit at a time and and i couldn't make that work for me i had to you know just hey we're going to be all in all or none yep and um, that's just kind of the direction we went and and we'd also we'd we'd 
combined a lot of fields together on farms, you know, where they used to be partially pasture and hay field, and there'd be, you know, in a, in a half section, there'd be a bunch of 20-acre fields of farm ground with a 10 or 15-acre hay meadow between them, and, you know, we pushed hedgerows and opened it all up, and we, we started farming some other old pasture ground, native grass pasture ground that had never been farmed, and and mainly just get it in shape thinking we're going to reseed it to grass and and then we just seen the benefit of that high organic matter soil and the yield differences every year in in the sod ground versus stuff that's been tilled a hundred years it's like why are we doing this and why are we going to continue to do this Mm -hmm. and and lose what we have here why why are we not trying to build this back so you know I may I will see it in my lifetime. I already have seen the benefits, but I was thinking, you know, if I had into, and I didn't have kids at the time, but I, you know, I always planned on having kids and and hoping that they would farm and thinking well, I need to start now so they have something to farm because I mean I just kind of feel like in this area um, another twenty years of conventional tillage I I don't know that some of this ground is going to be worth farming. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and you know I I remember having those conversations when you first made that transition about the the tillage what to do with the tillage equipment and i I believe told you sell it because if if you have it sitting there you're going to be tempted to to go out and work ground and i think there's a field cultivator still floating around just in case for ruts and disc and field cultivator but you still have to have it just just in case case. but you know you just made you just went you know whole hog right away and i think that that shows you, you knew you knew it was the right thing to do in the direction that needed to be go and then the other thing we addressed was, you know, the planter being a key key portion of no-till. Um, you know, that first year we, we went through and put the hydraulic downforce with Delta Force through precision planting. Um, knew the planter was in good shape rather than going buying the new one. Mm-hmm. You know, just dolled that one up and that, that also helped a little bit and not, not going to have to buy a new piece of equipment. I think that's where a lot of guys go wrong or have a bad experience with no-till is they're, they don't completely put their mind around what what's happening there and then they don't you know they don't have the planner set up and they don't have the tools to do it correctly and then they right. say oh it didn't work yeah well it works fine you just have to retool and change your way of thinking to make it work right yeah. well the the biggest thing is, is with no-till well with conventional till you can hide a lot of planner mistakes with conventional till because yeah. you can mm-hmm. get that seed bed right and you know, temperature you, you can make sure your your planter is not set up right and you can hide a lot of those mistakes yeah. Yeah. and still produce a good crop but when mm-hmm. no-till it's really important you know like we said making sure your planter is set right so that your optimal conditions right. are correct well in your optimal conditions no-till is going to be a different time that's right than conventional till if your neighbors are running their conventional till it's probably not time for you to start running yet just because it's going to be a little bit more moist the soil temperature is not going to quite be there um, it's just a different you just got to think about it differently and mm-hmm. you just got to not be afraid to go against the go against the flow and that's the most difficult <laughs> challenge right is, it is i mean when you the patience side the, of it is. yeah well that and you have landlords that are seeing seeing what the neighbors are doing wondering why you're not out there going right um, it's it's not just a mindset for you but also changing you know if you have landlords changing their mindset as well I'm back here just glowing right now, by the way. So, like, it is so refreshing to hear these points of view brought up by somebody other than me. So, I, I love this. I'm sure he's got a smile, too, because I, I was even talking about no-till. <laughs> I'm literally just glowing. Uh, 
You're exactly right, though, and, and I, I see that a lot, and I think in in a lot of practice adoption, um, in any of these practices, I, I think you, you'll see somebody get up on stage at, at a meeting or something, and they say, just, just I want you to go home and just try a little bit, and I think that's an awesome point that you made, that, that it is very hard to set up your equipment to work on something that's just a little bit. Mm-hmm. If it's just a little bit, you're going to plow through it with the same mentality that you have on every other acre. And whatever you think you're trying is likely going to fail, mm-hmm. and um, and then then you just proved yourself right. We're like, oh, yeah, I you have wanted to you fail know. just yeah. so you can be like, yep, oh, oh, well, I tried it. Always done. Yep. Yep. yep, I tried that one time and it didn't work. <laughs> yep, you know. Yeah. So, do you remember? And 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 maybe there's nothing specific that sticks out in your mind, but you said kind of originally that that was a direction that you wanted to go. Did did you pick that up somewhere, or kind of had seen somebody? enact things uh, successfully somewhere else? Not or? particularly, no. It's, uh, the, the biggest thing that stuck out that made me want to go that direction is, is tearing up a lot of that native sod ground and seeing the yield differences and, and then, you know, having it sampled and looking, you know, same, I mean, it's the same soil, just hasn't been farmed for 100 years. That's right. And you look at the organic matter, you know, levels in that soil versus the stuff right next to it that's been farmed 100 years, and, I mean, that tells the tale right there. Mm-hmm. It's like, we've got to do something to get this soil back to the way it was 100 years ago. Not only is it the right thing to do, but, I mean, it's it's a, it's a profitable thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I, and I think it, it's, it's also refreshing to hear you say that. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about enacting these kind of practices, um, you will, you know... People will say the, their first inclination is to immediately go, well, we're doing this for the next generation and, and things like that, which which I don't disagree with. I mean, in, in all honesty, we are. But um, but I think one thing that kind of gets glossed over is that, yeah, we're also doing it because it makes business sense mm-hmm. and it makes money. Yeah. So yeah. so that, that's, that's an important part of it, too. I was worried year one um, on, man, I hope I hope this does not become a complete flop you know and we possibly you know get behind the eight ball and and have to fight back to get to where we was and uh it went on smooth as silk it turned out to be a pretty good year and and but i i credit a lot of that to just being a good plan and set up to facilitate the plan Um, it wasn't like we just decided april 1st that we was gonna no-till you know We, we was we were talking about it for a year and a half and getting yep. you know our ducks in a row so we we kind of knew what we were doing to yep. start out with yeah and i think well that first year you were still running hydrus we were still running mm-hmm. full rate of anhydrous up front i think you went and bought a, a no-till um rig so you could put anhydrous on yeah we i mean we completely retooled yeah um, put you know went and got a deer high speed disc type applicator because i felt like if we were going to no-till corn and still put anhydrous on that that was the only feasible way to do it with the least amount of ground disturbance and to have better planter ride and and I still wasn't real happy with with the results yep. from that. Um, you could see where the planter would drift over next to those you know tracks from it and and slide over and have a little bit of uneven emergence yep. um, that way. And then even where like you know your big heavy double anhydrous tanks run. It just you know it's compaction and most of the time when you're running gas it tends to be a little damp and mm-hmm. and yep. i just we only did that one year and i yep. said we're we're gonna and, and we grew good corn but i didn't like the way it looked early it took a while to come out of it 
And I, we're gonna we gotta figure out a different way. Yep. And it was right around then when we had first started working with our Nutritrack model, our nitrogen model, um, and I was like, this is a prime opportunity to be able to utilize this tool, especially in a scenario like this where we're getting, trying to get away from hydras. Well, how do you how do you do that mm-hmm. and still raise a good crop? Well, let's we we start following the four R's. We start putting that nitrogen in season when we need it. You already had the side dress tool to do it. We just need to know mm-hmm. kind of. How are we gonna? How are we gonna get that much nitrogen on the season, or how much do we need to put on before the crop? Yeah, which was that first year we was when we still was running anhydrous. I mean, we was just putting a hundred units out early with anhydrous, and we were side dressing, but we, you know, by by guess, you know, saying, yeah. oh, we need X amount of right. nitrogen, you know, the old way. Yep. Granted, we were split applying it, so we were better. We'd actually split applied nitrogen for two years before we adapted yeah, the model. I mean, the last year conventional till. Yeah. would have been the first year that I started to side dress corn. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah. But and then and then we started looking, okay, we're running a burn down. We're, we're running a burn down herbicide. Why don't we include UAN as our carrier and just plant right behind that and we've been doing that ever since. Yeah, it's works great. It's eliminates a path. When it's there. a little bit cooler and the the herbicide's not working as quick as we like, that that UAN heats it up and uh, so far we've been seeing great results with yeah. it. The corn's a lot more uniform early than what it is. Yep. Anhydrous. Yep. Not having to wait for those winter annuals to die. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, let, um, I was going to have you expand on that. So, are you running anything on your planter then, or kind of walk me through that, uh, like, like on, say, on a corn crop, kind of your, your nitrogen management? Fertilizer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, there is no starter set up on, on the planter. Okay. Um, we're running that, we're running 20 gallons of 32 with okay. our burn down okay um sometimes a week before the planter sometimes a couple days it just kind of depends on on where we're at mm-hmm. um going to plant the crop and then we're utilizing our our model everything everything now except for a few pieces of lease ground is in the is grid sampled so we're utilizing that data um okay. since we've upgraded the planter um we've got v sets now and we're creating variable rate seeding wrecks uh, with variable rate yield goals across the fields so we're tying that into the model, and then you generally, about Memorial Weekend, um, we're setting down and going over what the wrecks were looking like, kind of adjusted them how how the year's gone, um, and that first week of June, um, yeah, the last week of May, first week of June, starting to side, side dress based on based on our nitrogen model, okay. depending on planting date, you know, yeah. or how the spring, yep, about right. And so what are you using for your side dress pass then? Um, so Super U or treated urea has been okay. the typical. Um, and okay. then we're trying to blend in ammonium sulfate in as, as well. Usually we'll run an 80-20 blend to okay. get, get our sulfur out there at, at that time as well. Okay. And for folks that don't know, why don't you, you mentioned a couple times um, modeling the, the nitrogen um, at that point. Kind of tell me what goes into that model and, and versus mm-hmm. and what comes out. Well, we could have a whole other podcast just talking about what goes into the model. I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, there, there's, honestly, as much information as you can feed the model, um, the, better. the closer your your wrecks are going to be accurate. So we, the first place you start is with your grid sampling data. Um, we can we can run off a, you know, a flat rate across the field, but if we have that, that grid sampling data, we can put in our pH, which is important. Mm-hmm. Um, our CECs are important for nitrogen management. Organic matter. Yep. Um, those are our those are our big big Soil pieces. 
soil type topography yeah that goes back to you know our CECs and then from there any nitrogen application we make so if we're variable rate in our DAP we know just looking at our DAP rates we were putting anywhere from 18 to sometimes 60 units in just from our DAP mm-hmm. and depending on when we're putting that on if it's a spring applied application we definitely know we're going to utilize some of that nitrogen I know in the past you know the old school way of making RICs you kind of just don't credit the nitrogen from the DAP right but we're variable bonus right but we're variable rate and we're putting so much on you know I think it's important that we are taking into account some of some of that which the model does some of that for us right tracking what we'd lost from when it was applied and how much might have mineralized and right so yeah so we, we make sure we put that application in make sure the dates are lined up with that application so it can utilize the weather data Mm-hmm. Um, if we're putting on our, our UAM with our burn down, make sure that goes in the model. Um, things like tillage, is it a no-till, is it reduced till, is it complete conventional till? Kind of kind of estimate how much crop residue is out there and how much we may mineralize from that. Mm-hmm. Um, relative maturity for hybrids is important to kind of be able to track that growth stage, um, to know when the crop's going to start taking up a lot of nitrogen, knowing how the crop's using it. Um, and then our yield goals. Yield goals are probably one of the most important things with it. Uh, and not just not just saying, hey, I, I want to make 130 bushel corn, but having an aggressive, an aggressive realistic yield goal, I think is important. Um, so when I, what I mean by that is, you know, if we're in an area and 160 to 170 bushel corn is is realistic, I want to shoot for that 170. Just just to be able to, to get something back from the model. Because if we go in there and say we need 130, they're gonna, it's gonna say, yeah, I probably won't need any nitrogen. Well, and um, when you say the word realistic, in my mind, um, that mid-season flexibility allows you to be realistic with conditions of the year, right? Right. So, like, you know, obviously our yield goals for this year are real high because we have no idea what's going to go on. Right. We just, you know, we have to go in with an optimistic attitude and you assume that, that everything's going to work great. And um, that's not always how it goes, right. you know. So um, I think that, that mid-season adjustment can allow you to be more seasonally realistic with what your yield goal could be on that on right. that crop as well. Yeah, because you may not have the greatest to stand, you know, sometimes in corn. And, exactly. And some drowned out spots and terrace channels, and you can kind of right. tweak that as you go. Yeah, well, another piece that we're doing, you know, I mentioned the reverberate seeding ricks. Well, with that, we're normalizing yield data for multiple years where you're creating, we're using that same management zone and creating our yield goals off that as well. Um, so, we may have a field average shooting for 160. I think most of the fields actually are shooting for 160. 160 but we have yeah. spots in that field going after 250, mm-hmm. 260 bushel corn. Right. And, you know, around the edges where deer are going to move in or trees are going to zap yield because of moisture, we may be only shooting for 120 on those field edges. Mm-hmm. So we're making sure we're putting the nitrogen where it's needed um, at the right time. Yeah, yeah, most of our fields will have yield management zones from... 110, 120 bushel up to 260 yep, yep. in most every field. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, aside, so we, I think we covered the nitrogen on the corn well. How else has, you know, as you've started reducing tillage and, and doing some other things, are there any other um, kind of nutrient management um, things that you've noticed or changes that you've made kind of along that transition or or was has the nitrogen been kind of the forefront and kind of the one that that comes to mind the most nitrogen's pretty well been up front you know our biggest concern um i do have a little concern with uh as 
more years down the road we get, you know, maybe the the P and K mm-hmm. stratifying, you know, in the mm-hmm. top three or four inches of the soil and sure. and wrecking pH levels, you know, and but we haven't really seen that happen yet. And I thought maybe we would start, but I, everybody's opinion on that differs. And it, it does, and everybody's everybody's overall management sequence is different, you know. Um, and yeah, I think. Um, I think it's something to keep an eye on and, and think and be thinking about, which you obviously are. But, um, but yeah, it, it, with the way that I think you're running things, I don't know that you're ever gonna, you know, see any major effects from it. But yeah, right. But and that, I, crop rotation probably. I was helps. just yeah, I was gonna say crop rotation. I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but cover the introduction of cover crops too. I mean, just because you're this recycling of those nutrients from that aspect That's is going to help cover crops. It's going to help with that stratification. I mean, from that aspect, you know, cuz those roots are bringing down those nutrients from that upper top layer. Yeah. Yeah. Adam is glowing again. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I swear, like there's no there's no paid sponsors on this podcast, but now that you brought it up, Cameron. Um, yeah. So from from a corn standpoint, or talk about corn, really the only thing that that I've seen, we were already kind of two passing herbicide um for even back in the conventional till days mm-hmm. we have increased maybe more more modes of action in that burn down making sure we've got a good burn down plus you know a longer lasting residual to get us into season um i think disease pressure uh, and the utilization of utilization of fungicides has increased um over the last couple of years and we've seen we've seen the results from from utilizing fungicides i mean that is one of the downsides of no-till increased crop residue um, increased potential for for disease pressure, um, and the last couple of years have been good years for gray leaf spot, northern mm-hmm. corn leaf blight. Right. Um, so having to utilize some of that, but you know that goes back on the other this. side of it. If it's good for disease, it's good for the crop. You know, if conditions are favorable for a disease, usually conditions are favorable for that the is, crop. That right? is fair because most of our right. fungal disease it needs to be warm and moist, which mm-hmm. is what we want. Yep. As a general rule, anyway. Yep. Um, and, and I think I think you're exactly right. I don't. So I, I guess I argue a little bit on the on the no-till brings. I don't think it necessarily brings more disease than because the guys that are full conventional till are spraying fungicide too. So I, I don't. I, I just I just don't want to make the insinuation that that because of one we have to do the other. No, I, I think no matter what your tillage system, you, you have to manage for those diseases. So. No, I, I agree. I mean, southern rust is going to be an issue for us every year. Yeah, right. It's it's whether or not the severity and when it moves in. Mm-hmm. Diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, they overwinter in our residual. Southern sure. southern yeah. rust does not. Right. Um, those are the, those two specifically are increased with no till. That's what I meant by and that. Man. That that was going to be my question is is when you're thinking about those two diseases because they do live on a residue. Has that changed your your fungicide management strategy from maybe looking at early fungicide applications and late fungicide applications? Or are you still just at you know the late applications? We haven't had to worry about it too much at right. that, that V five V six time frame. Mm-hmm. We've we've seen the disease move in late season, but we've been able to take care of that with that 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 VT we've application. With that V five V six early app and never have been able to make it pay. Yeah, yeah. The at the, the moment, the, yeah, v, that's fair. The VT application with our slow release nitrogen, our trend B, it's yep. it's showing it's showing a lot of benefit. It's showing the ability to overtake that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
but other than that, our corn, we, you know, as long as we can get the planter guy to hold off a little bit, he get he likes to get a little. <laughs> talk about patience being yeah. one of those big things. As long as we can get him to hold off a little bit, I hadn't been that bad. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, it could be a lot worse. I right? could, yeah, I, I could was be expecting it even to be a lot. It worse. could be so much worse. <laughs> the you know yeah. the, the corn being the bigger hang up on switching no till. Sure. I mean, we've still got a lot to learn, especially as we started going deeper into the cover crop side of things. But yeah. Right now, I feel like we've got a pretty good handle on it. Yeah. Can I ask him about cover crops now? I suppose. <laughs> I'm all about it. Okay, Wyatt. Uh, so, as you've kind of gone down this this road and, and have successfully switched over to, to no-till, kind of tell me about how you started messing around, playing with cover crops a little bit, um, and kind of what... What what led you to that change as far as um, wanting to, to try to put that practice on the ground? Well, it, it goes back to that native sod ground, you know, and seeing the organic matter. So right off the bat, like, what can we do besides no-till to, you know, build that orga- organic matter as fast as possible? Well, cover crops is the only way you're going to do it. Uh, and and that's not the only benefit I was wanting you know with cover crops you know a lot of people want to talk about compaction and and yeah I, I, I can see the benefit there but that's not so much what I'm after um, but organic matter uh, weed control and erosion control mm-hmm. are the three things I've been primarily after um, we've just been you know dabbling in it a little with yeah. planting wheat uh, as cover mm-hmm. just because it's you know it's the cheapest easiest thing you can do sure and we and are in kansas you know weed is a pretty popular yeah in this area. I've, I've heard yeah, <laughs> i've heard which we've seen a tremendous benefit you know and, and reduce soil erosion and and reduce weed pressure um with yep. that weed cover um you, you know we we run finesse um on the fall in the fall on all of it and our fields just stay clean all yeah. spring with the wheat cover crop with finesse on it. And, right. And you can't, what else can you do that's any cheaper than that? Nothing. I mean, <laughs> I you, can tell you, you right spend now, a lot nothing. of money in chemical to stay that clean, yeah. you know, more money than what that wheat cover is costing you and not get any of the other benefits of the wheat cover. So it's a no-brainer to me. Yep. yep. As and long as we can get it in. Yeah. And like you said, we're, you know, we're just, just, tickle in the surface of what we can do with cover crops. I think as we incorporate more multi-species, as we look at what we're, maybe start looking at nitrogen management as part of that going Mm -hmm. in front of corn. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's gonna get a little bit harder because we won't be able to utilize things like finesse. We're really gonna have to start watching soil residuals on our our herbicides, um, even in, you know, our our corn and our beans, just to make sure we can get some of those established. Um, But I think there's a lot more we can be, that we, we can do. Um, we're just kind of getting started. Wheat, wheat made sense. It was in the bin. It was mm-hmm. cheap, cheap to put on. Yep. Um, it just it works. It yeah. really does for what I was trying to accomplish. Well, yeah. Like I say for for your goals that you outlined there when I initially asked you that. I mean, I, you're exactly right. You're not really missing out on anything. Um, you know, you guys out here also have more wheat in the rotation, so you have to be a little more careful with but rye. You know, we, we wanted to do rye, but rye scares me with you know wheat as a cash yep. grain right. in the rotation becoming a problem. Yep. So we've kind of yep. steered clear of it for the time being. For sure. For sure. No, and I and I totally understand that. Um, and I, I think it makes sense where where you've already got wheat in the bin, you got wheat in the rotation, and. Um, and you're going to get a lot of the same benefits, yep. you know, yep. um, in the, 
in the major picture, you know, that, that cereal rye plant has, has a better root system um, and going to have some different, you know, fungal associations and things like that than what wheat would. But, um, but what you're doing now is risk management and that's totally, it totally makes sense by, you know, using wheat instead. So, but, so um, what's kind of the next, what's your, so you've seen, you said you've seen benefits with them and, and you said you, you're, you know, Shannon, you mentioned that you guys have just started to kind of play around with what's kind of the next thing that you want, you want to try or that's kind of on the horizon bouncing around in your head that, that you want to try out? Well, we're going to go multi-species this this fall, um, we I've actually signed up. Well, whether whether the funding comes through or not, but whether it does or not, we're going to do it. I mean, we're signed up for the. I think it's like a CIC or CLC program. Through, yeah, equip CIC. Yeah, through NRCS. Um, on as many acres as we can do, because obviously it don't take long to max their programs out. But sure. But we're going to try to fly on multi-species on, I think three farms and. Crawford County and probably going to end up being three or four farms in Bourbon County if we can get it done or get it approved. Um, and that way we can fly it on early in the standing crop and, you know, while we're getting reimbursed to do so, just to see how it works and see if we can see any major benefits from it to where we can turn it, you know, the cost of that into dollars that makes sure. sense. Um, which is what the program is for. Yeah. And and I'm I'm excited about it. I mean, it's it's like when I switched to no-till, the cover crop and regenerative deal is the direction I want to go. And, and I've always kind of been that way since I've been farming. Once you kind of feel like you've about, ma- you never master anything, but once you're comfortable with something, I'm always looking for the next thing to kind of keep things exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for the next new frontier and, and try to do things better. Yes. Yeah. Yep. There's two things that make Wyatt excited new shiny equipment and playing around with some of these practices <laughs> and trying to advance them and make them better on the farm. Bins full yeah. of grain. Yeah. Bins full of grain. Nice. That helps too. Especially yeah. when prices keep going up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but bin fulls of grain brings that nice shoe shiny equipment. So yeah, it all true. works together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, and I completely agree with you. Why I'm, I, and I'm the, like basically the exact same way is like the, I think those, those changes and and taking something that society feels is challenging right like switching completely to no-till or like successfully integrating all these things and and knocking it out of the park is there's an extreme level of satisfaction in in doing that and and pulling it off successfully um much more of level of satisfaction than um you know doing tillage for 60 years and i mean it it's I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying that I, I completely agree in that that change um, and that mentality of what's the next what's the next thing I can tackle and what's the next thing I can tackle. That, that's what's going to make you a successful grower for your entire career. Um, at least that's how I feel anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, we talk about you know the planning that goes into these practices. Even when, back when we made the transition to no-till, you know, then we were just talking about one year plan, trying to plan it for the next year. You know, middle of the summer, start thinking about the next year and, you know, doing that. We're to the point now where we're looking ahead two or three years at crop rotation just to know what herbicide, what we're planting where. Um, wheat being one of those, I mean, if you wanted to, we could have two or 3,000 acres of wheat every year. We know that's not feasible. So knowing, okay, what's going for a cover crop? What's going for a cash crop? Mm-hmm. And then how does 
the following crop fit into that rotation with some of the herbicides that we're using. Well, and I felt, you know, started doing that because I felt like if we want to implement cover crops, I feel like we got to have be planned at least three years out so we can start putting this plan in action. Mm. Yep. You, you just, you know, fly by the seat of your pants from year to year. You, I mean, you it just can't work. do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we're setting down. We're we're making cropping plans, looking at you know next year. We're also thinking two or three hit two or three years down the road. Okay, what's cropping rotation look like then? Just making sure we're, we're putting things in the right acre when they need to be there. Um, not so much from a hybrid standpoint, just making sure we got the right crops where they need to be. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. What uh, what else are you doing? What else are we you doing that we didn't cover here, guys? Um, anything that you wanted to make sure that that we got across that we haven't asked you about yet? Yeah, well, I mean, we talked pretty intensely about about corn. I mean, beans. Beans, in my mind, have been easy to no-till because we've been no-tilling beans for a long time after wheat. Um, that's kind of a, a standard practice here. Sure. Uh, no-tilling wheat I was, at first was a little bit of a challenge. Um, there were some equipment changes that had to be made there with the chopping head on the on the combine. That's that's really helped increase uh, I mean, residue. I feel like if you're going to no-till, a chopping corn head is should be yeah. the second thing you do other than the upgrades of the planter. Yeah. I know Adam cringes because he likes that residue staying on the field in the spot, but you know, I don't um I don't in this instance where you're actually um putting a, a living cover crop back out there because I know on on my farm what what I've seen is that I actually will struggle with no tilling the next year more with the corn residue yep. than I do with the cover crop that's growing out there. I can plant through the cover crop, but it's a lot harder to plant through that giant corn residue that doesn't seem to want to break down, yep. you know, as it is. So, so I completely agree. I'm yep. on board with that. Yeah. So to be able to still shoot for that high yielding wheat, that high managed wheat, that was a practice that had to be changed. Was okay. How do we get through this corn residue? Yep. And that chopping corn head has greatly helped out in in that aspect. Um, and then we're split applying nitrogen on our wheat as well, making sure we're getting that out there when it needs, not not putting it all in the fall, but making sure we're timing it up as close to joining, kind of like we're doing our corn. Um, from from a cropping standpoint, that's that's the main the main uh, things that we have had to switch up. Mm-hmm. Um, continue to upgrade the planter, making sure it's as you know as operational as possible, to help increase productivity and kind of. one thing was getting the rows closed in that mm-hmm. no-till, especially on corn. That's the biggest thing we've struggled with. Is getting, yep. you know, and that. I don't know how many different types of closing wheels we have, <laughs> I have monkeyed with. And, and it depends on the condition, you know. Yeah, clean right. bean stubble, get along fine with about anything. That's right. But where we're going into half dead or even dead or half dead or still green winter annuals, we really struggle. or into a cover crop. Yep. And uh, hopefully, I guess, the furrow force solves all my issues there but uh so yeah that's one of the upgrades making this 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 winter is getting the planter upgraded mm-hmm. with new closing wheel system to help out with that um and it's just getting geared up to be planting into green cover crop too mm-hmm. you know it, it's always been an issue but it's going to become a bigger issue as we keep trying to go greener and greener mm-hmm. i guess and, if you would say and, yep. and uh so well let's just yeah. Go ahead and pull the trigger and do it. Yeah, it's a lot of money on a closing wheel system, but any closing wheel system costs a lot of money. So that's that's exactly right. Yeah. So I've yeah, talked, right. I've like I think I've been through three different, four different closing systems. You know, types of wheels and yep. and not been happy with any of them. Yep. 
depending on the conditions. So, and we, you know, I've switched uh, my planter opener blades to a, I don't know whether you guys ever heard of them, but STP mm-hmm. blades, and, and they, that helped close the trench did tremendously. It? it it really they really did do what they claimed they would do and let loose dirt come back over the seed. Mm-hmm. So even if you weren't completely closing the trench, you'd have a lot more even emergence. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. They just take a lot more damn pressure to poke in the ground while they're new. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. No. And those are those are just all things that. Um, it's i think it's it sounds like you're just like every other um person i i know who has has become focused on um reducing tillage on on planting cover crops and that you get hyper focused on every step of that planter pass um you know from the opening the trench to trying to make sure that it's all right and um i think that that attention to detail itself i think can lead to more yield uh, in a cash crop, yeah, I'm, so, I'm a firm regardless believer, of the tillage system. I'm I'm a firm believer that our yield starts right there with that planter, mm-hmm. and if we put that seed in the wrong spot in the wrong conditions, we're just hurting ourselves from the get go. Yeah. Um, so taking the time and making sure the planter is set right, and you know we've got some places in the field that are, are going to be worked because they've had ruts or they need they just need fixed. Be able to assure that we have the same coverage there or the same co- seed to soil contact there. That we do in those, those places that have been no-till for five, five or six years, mm-hmm. it's right. drastically different soil conditions. So making sure we're staying consistent across the field when that seed goes goes to the ground is very important. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. The only other thing I was going to ask, and maybe we kind of briefly touched about it, but I mean, you got we're variable rate and fertilizer um, from that aspect. We're doing variable rate seed, and we talked about a little bit of the stratification. You know, your fear of stratification on your P and K. With no-till ground, are you are you variable rating your P and K in front of beans and corn, or are you just doing are you doing you know a two-year build just in front of the corn? So currently, we're still fertilizing P and K in front of in front of full-season beans, corn, and then one-time wheat double-crop beans. Right. So you're doing it. You're not going every other year. You're no, you're, you're spreading year. it out. So yeah. so I guess my point was is. You know, when we're thinking about that our soils could handle that, that amount of and that was that was also that was also part of my point was is you know we're thinking about the four R piece of this, we're doing a better job of making sure that we're putting out not nearly as much as we would be um, from that aspect of it, but also helping with the stratification piece because you're getting more re- recycling of those nutrients more often and not putting out a huge amount of nutrients, trying to figure out how do I get those into the soil yeah. without losing it. So we've and we've we've discussed we've discussed multiple times, you know, could we go on a two year wreck and one year put P P on right. one year put K on depending on the crop. Um, just to make things easier. Just to make things easier and, and Yeah. Yep. So we've we've looked at it. We are I'm just not sure that soil levels are mm-hmm. where they need to be to be able to sustain that for two for two seasons worth of yeah. worth of crop. Um, especially a year like this, you know, we have high fertilizer prices. One of the things That's we right. had to look at was, okay, how do we cut back but cut back right? So we just looked at, you know, what was our uh, crop removal last year? And we made sure that at least crop removal was taken care of. Yeah. Um, on the wheat beans, when we knew we were going to fertilize two crops, luckily we had a, a really good corn crop last year, which kind of helped make sure we had those crops covered for the new year. So this is a year we're not going to have as much build as we typically would have. Yeah, it's going to slow down, getting us to that point of, of if we do one day do two years worth of, worth of product, um, it's it's going to be a lot farther down the road. Yeah, and if I 
I think if we ever do do a two look at like a two year worth of product deal, I'm probably going to be using litter mm-hmm. if we go that route, you know, and try to build some organic matter and, and get some different things going there. And we may have to look uh, at starter on the planter, yeah, um, just, right, just to get something to kind of help have something available right there at the seed um, strip till bar. We're yeah. I think that's a ways away from from happening. Just, I, I, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, those are all options, though, right? Yeah. 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 It goes back to... Work. And I may up and change my mind. Like, hey, <laughs> well, you know. Hey, we're going to do litter this year. Let's let's put out two years' worth of, you know, litter for our, our uh, pea needs, and then on in front of corn, and, and we're going to pick up enough K to probably raise the corn crop anyways out of that litter, and let's go two years' worth of our K needs in front of beans. But that's the only time I ever... For seeing me going that route is if I implement litter into the yeah, yeah. using some form of organic. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and being where we're here, it's sometimes hard to get litter in South Cost effectively. Yeah. Cost I mean, effectively. we could probably get it, but yep. it's just about like most yeah. a lot of places are yeah. that way. It's like yeah, you can get it anywhere if you're willing mm-hmm. to pay for it. Right. You know, <laughs> if we were just a few miles south, another county south, it'd be a lot easier to get just because the the chicken barns are, are yeah. closer there. Right. right. Well, in a year like this. Litter was hard to come by because they know what they've got. Yeah, you're like, this. I mean, this year fertilizer is the equivalent <laughs> to gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know what they've got on a year like this for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, look at new practices, constantly thinking and brainstorming. I know personally for me, talking with you, Adam, you know, Virginia Vag, that's that's an interesting concept. I'm not saying we're ready to jump jump down that rabbit hole, but learning those different practices and how guys have made it work on their operation. Can we bring some of that, that to to the operation? Why it's got cattle, um, how can we incorporate, you know, it, can we incorporate some of those in, in mm-hmm. our row crop? We've mm-hmm. got some fields that are set up for it. Um, obviously you were looking at more infrastructure when we start doing that. But, sure. But yeah. is, that a, is that a practice that makes sense on the operation? Yep. It, yep. it all goes back to the goals and what the, the long-term goal of the farm is. For sure, for sure. It sounds like you. I mean, you guys are are well down the well down the path, um, for sure. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the next step, right? I mean, I think you you would definitely see some benefits of um, putting some grazing animals back out there um, in the right condition. So yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, I mean, congratulations, obviously, are, are in order. Um, yep. uh, obviously, a a well deserved uh, well deserved. Uh, award for the for the both of you for the duo here as i understand it you guys get to go down and and hang out at uh commodity classic down in new orleans and get your uh, get your award down there so uh, congratulations on behalf of mfa we're we're super excited wyatt that that you guys won this year yep. and um like i said obviously extremely well deserved well thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to sit down with us today um Wyatt, I could keep you in here and pick your brain for like three hours, so I just I have to cut it off, um, or I'll I'll catch too much flack for this. But, um, but thank you so much for taking the time to stop in and, and record this with us today. Thank Shannon, thanks as always. Um, this one was super fun, so appreciate it, guys. Yep, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, thanks. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.